You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. Entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. The history of Canada continues. We move forward to the Canadian Confederation. The 72 resolutions from the 1864 Quebec Conference and Charlottetown Conference laid out the framework for uniting British colonies in North America into a federation. They had been adopted by the majority of provinces in Canada and became the basis for the London Conference of 1866, which led to the formation of the Dominion of Canada on July 1st 1867. The term Dominion was chosen to indicate Canada's status as a self-governing colony of the British Empire, the first time it was used about a country. With the coming into force of the British North American Act, enacted by the British Parliament, the province, province of Canada, New Brunswick and Nova Scotia became a federated kingdom of its own right. The phrase Dominion of Canada was gradually phased out during the late 40s, 50s, and early 60s with the growth of the post-colonial Canadian nationalism. Federation emerged from multiple impulses. The British wanted Canada to defend itself the Maritimes needed railroad connections, which were promised in 1867. British-Canadian nationalism sought to unite the lands into one country, dominated by the English language and the British culture. Many French Canadians saw an opportunity to exert political control within a new, largely French-speaking Quebec, and fears of possible U.S. expansion northward. On a political level, there was a desire for the expansion of responsible government and the elimination of the legislative deadlock between Upper and Lower Canada, and their replacement with a provincial 
legislatures in a federation. This was especially pushed by the liberal reform movement of the Upper Canada and the French-Canadian Parti Rouge in Lower Canada, who favored a decentralized union in comparison to the Upper Canadian Conservative Party and to some degree the French-Canadian Parti Bleu, which favored a centralized union. Using the lure of the Canadian Pacific Railway, a transcontinental line that would unite the nation, Ottawa attracted support in the Maritimes and in the British Columbia. In 1866, the colony of British Columbia and the colony of Vancouver Island merged into a single colony of British Columbia. It joined the Canadian Confederation in 1871. In 1873, Prince Edward Island joined. Newfoundland, which had no use for a transcontinental railway, voted no in 1869 and did not join Canada until the year 14, no, excuse me, 1949. In 1873, John A. Macdonald, the first Prime Minister of Canada, created the Northwest Mounted Police, now known as the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, to help police the Northwest Territories. Specifically, the Mounties were to assert Canadian sovereignty over possible American encroachments into the sparsely populated land. The Mounties' first large-scale mission was to suppress the Second Independence Movement by Manitoba's Metis, a mixed-blood people of joint First Nations and European descent who originated in the mid-17th century. The desire for independence erupted in the River Red River Rebellion in 1869 and the later Northwest Rebellion in 1885, led by Louis Riel. Suppressing the rebellion was Canada's first independent military action. It cost about five million and it demonstrated the need to complete the Canadian Pacific Railway. It guaranteed Anglophone control of the prairies and demonstrated the national government was capable of decisive action. However, it lost the Conservative Party, most of their support in Quebec, and led to permanent distrust of the Anglophone community on the part of the Francophones. In 1905, when Saskatchewan and Alberta were admitted as provinces, they were growing rapidly thanks to abundant wheat crops that attracted immigration to the plains by Ukrainians and Northern and Central Europeans, and by settlers from the United States, Britain, and Eastern Canada. The Alaska boundary dispute, simmering since the Alaska Purchase of 1867, became critical when gold was discovered in the Yukon during the 
during the late 1890s, with the U.S. controlling all the possible ports of entry. Canada argued its boundary included the port of Skagway. The dispute went to arbitration in 1903, but the British delegates sided with the Americans, angering Canadians who felt the British had betrayed Canadian interests to curry favor with the U.S. In the 1890s, legal experts codified a framework of criminal law culminating in the Criminal Code of 1892. This solidified the liberal idea of equality before the law in a way that made an abstract principle into a tangible reality for every adult Canadian. Wilfred Lauer, who served from 1896 to 1911 as the seventh Prime Minister of Canada, felt Canada was on the verge of becoming a world power and declared that the 20th century would belong to Canada. Lauer signed a reciprocity treaty with the U.S. that would lower tariffs in both directions. Conservatives under Robert Borden denounced it, saying it would integrate Canada's economy into that of the U.S. and loosen ties with Britain. The, the Conservation Party won the Canadian federal election in the year 1911. Canadian culture, as is understood today, can be traced to its time period of westward expansion. Contributing factors include Canada's unique geography, climate, and cultural makeup. Being a cold country with long winter nights for most of the year, certain unique leisure activities developed in Canada during this period included hockey and lacrosse. During this period, the churches tried to steer leisure activities by preaching against drinking and scheduling annual revivals and weekly club activities. By 1930, radio played a major role in uniting Canadians behind their local or regional hockey teams. Play-by-play -play sports coverage, especially of ice hockey, absorbed fans far more intensely than newspaper accounts the next day. Rural areas were especially influenced by sports coverage. Canadians in the 19th century came to believe themselves possessed of a unique northern character due to the long, harsh winters that only those of hard body and mind could survive. This hardiness was claimed as a Canadian trait, as such sports as ice hockey and snowshoeing that reflected this were asserted as characteristically Canadian. Outside the sports arena, Canadians expressed the national characteristics of being peaceful, orderly, and oh so very polite. Inside, they screamed their lungs out at ice hockey games, cheering for the speed, ferocity, and violence, making hockey an ambiguous symbol of Canada. The Canadian forces and civilians participate 
participation in the First World War, helped to foster a sense of British-Canadian nationhood. The high points of Canadian military achievement during the First World War came during the Somme-Vimey-Pachtendale battles and what later became known as Canada's Hundred Days. The reputation Canadian troops earned along with the success of Canadian flying aces including William George Barker and Billy Bishop helped to give the nation a new sense of identity. The War Office in 1922 reported approximately 67,000 killed and 173,000 wounded during World War I. This excludes civilian deaths in wartime incidents like the Halifax explosion. Support for Great Britain during the First World War caused a major political crisis over conscription with the Francophones, mainly from Quebec, rejecting national policies. During the crisis, large number of enemy aliens, especially Ukrainians and Germans, were put under government controls. The Liberal Party was deeply split, with most of its Anglophone leaders joining the Unionist government, headed by Prime Minister Robert Borden, the leader of the Conservative Party. The Liberals regained their influence after the war under the leadership of William Lyon Mackenzie King, who served as Prime Minister with three separate terms between 1921 and 1949. Women's political status without the vote was vigorously promoted by the National Council of Women of Canada from 1894 to 1918. It promoted a vision of transient citizenship for women. The ballot was not needed for citizenship was to be exercised through personal influence and moral suasion, through the election of men with strong moral character, and through raising public-spirited sons. The National Council position reflected its nation-building program that sought to uphold Canada as a white settler nation, while the women's suffrage movement was important for extending the political rights of white women. It was also authorized through race-based arguments that linked white women's enfranchisement to the need to protect the nation from racial degeneration. Women did have a local vote in some provinces, as in Canada West from 1850, where women owning land could vote for school trustees. By 1900, other provinces adopted similar provisions. And in 1916, Manitoba took the lead in extending full women's suffrage. Simultaneously, suffragists gave strong support to the prohibition movement especially in Ontario and the Western provinces. The Military Voters Act of 1917 gave the vote to British women who were war widows or had sons or husbands serving overseas. Unionist Prime Minister Borden 
pledged himself during the 1917 campaign to equal suffrages for women. After his landslide victory, he introduced a bill in 1918 for extending the franchise to women. This passed without division, but did not apply to Quebec provincial and municipal elections. The women of Quebec gained full suffrage in 1940. The first woman elected to Parliament was Agnes MacPhail of Ontario in the year 1921. As a result of its contribution to an Allied victory in the First World War, Canada became more assertive and less differential to British authority. Convinced that Canada had proven itself on the battlefields of Europe, Prime Minister Sir Robert Borden demanded that it have a separate seat at the Paris Peace Conference in 1919. This was initially opposed not only by Britain, but also the United States, which saw such a delegation as an extra British vote. Borden responded by pointing out that since Canada had lost nearly 60,000 men, a far larger proportion of its men, its right to equal status as a nation has been consecrated on the battlefield. British Prime Minister David Lloyd George eventually relented and convinced a reluctant Americans to accept the presence of delegations from Canada, India, Australian, Newfoundland, New Zealand, and South Africa. These also received their own seats in the League of Nations. Canada asked for neither reparations nor mandates. It played only a modest role at Paris, but just having a seat was a matter of pride. It was cautiously optimistic about the new League of Nations, in which it played an active and independent role. In 1923, British Prime Minister David Lord George appealed repeatedly for Canadian support in the Chinat crisis in which the war threatened between Britain and Turkey. Canada refused. The Department of External Affairs, which had been founded in 1909, was expanded and promoted Canadian autonomy as Canada reduced its reliance on British diplomats and used its own foreign service. Thus began the careers of such important diplomats as Norman Robertson, and Hume Rong, and future Prime Minister Lester Pearson. In 1921 to 1926, William Lloyd Mackenzie's King's liberal government pursued a conservative domestic policy with the object of lowering wartime taxes and especially cooling wartime ethnic tensions as well as diffusing post-war labor conflicts. The progressives refused to join the government, but did help the liberals defeat non-confidence motions. 
King faced a delicate balancing act of reducing tariffs enough to please the prairie-based progressives, but not too much to alienate his vital support in industrial Ontario and Quebec, which needed tariffs to compete with American imports. King and conservative leader Arthur Mann sparred constantly and bitterly in Commons debates. The progressives gradually weakened. Their effect and passionate leader Thomas Carrera resigned to return to his grain business and was replaced by the more placid Robert Fork. The socialist reformer J.S. Woodsworth gradually gained influence and power among the progressives, and he reached an accommodation with King on policy matters. In 1926, Prime Minister Mackenzie King advised the Governor General, Lord Bing, to dissolve Parliament and call another election. But Bing refused. The only time that the Governor General has exercised such a power. Instead, Bing called upon Mahan, the Conservative Party leader, to form a government. Mahan attempted to do so, but was unable to obtain a majority in the Commons, and he too advised dissolution, which this time was accepted. The episode, The King-Bing Affair, marks a constitutional crisis that was resolved by a new tradition of complete non-interference in Canadian political affairs on part of the British government. Like everyone else, Canada was hard hit by the worldwide Great Depression that began in 1929. Between 1929 and 1933, the gross national product dropped 40% compared to only 37% in the United States at that same time. Unemployment reached 27% at the depth of the Depression in 1933. Many businesses closed as corporate profits of 396 million in 1929 turned into losses of 98 million in 1933. Canadian exports shrank by 50% from 1929 to 1933. Construction all but stopped, down 82% between 1929 and 33. The wholesale prices dropped 30%. Wheat prices plunged from 78 cents per bushel in 1928 to 29 cents a bushel in 1932. Urban unemployment nationwide was 19%. Toronto's rate was 17% according to the census of 1931. Farmers who stayed on their farms were not considered unemployed. By 1933, 30% of the labor force was out of work and one-fifth of the population became dependent on government assistance. Wages fell as did prices. Worst hit were areas dependent on primary industries such as farming, 
mining, and logging, as prices fell and there was few alternative jobs. Most families had moderate losses and little hardship, though they too became pessimistic and their debts became heavier as prices fell. Some families saw most of all of their assets disappear and suffered severely. In 1930, the first stage of the Long Depression, Prime Minister King believed that the crisis was temporary swing of the business cycle and that the economy would soon recover without government intervention. He refused to provide unemployment relief or federal aid to the provinces, saying that if conservative provincial governments demanded federal dollars, he would not give them a five-cent piece. His blunt wisecrack was used to defeat the liberals in the 1930 election. The main issue was the rapid deterioration of the economy and whether the prime minister was out of touch with the hardships of ordinary people. The winner of the 1930 election was Richard Bedford Bennett and the Conservatives. Bennett had promised high tariffs and large-scale spending, but as deficits increased, he became wary and cut back severely on federal spending. With falling support and depression getting only worse, Bennett attempted to introduce policies based on the New Deal of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt in the United States, but he got little passed. Bennett's government became a focus of popular discontent. For example, auto owners saved on gasoline by using horses to pull their cars, dubbing them Bennett buggies. The conservative failure to restore prosperity led to the return of Mackenzie King's liberals in the 1935 election. In the 1935, the liberals used the slogan, King or Chaos, to win a landslide in the 1935 election. Promising a much-desired trade treaty with the U.S., the Mackenzie-King government passed in 1935 Reciprocal Trade Agreement. It marked the turning point in Canadian-American economic relations, reversing the disastrous trade war of 1930-1931, lowering tariffs and yielding a dramatic increase in trade. The worst of the Depression had passed by 1935, as Ottawa launched relief programs such as the National Housing Act and National Employment Commission. The Canadian Broadcasting Corporation became a Crown Corporation in 1936. Trans-Canada Airlines, the precursor to Air Canada, was formed in 1937 as was the National Film Board of Canada in 1939. In 1938, Parliament transformed the Bank of Canada 
from a private entity to a crown corporation. One politically response was highly restrictive immigration policy and a rise in nativism. Times were especially hard in Western Canada, where a full recovery did not occur until the Second World War began in 1939. One response was the creation of new political parties, such as the Social Credit Movement and the Cooperative Commonwealth Federation, as well as popular protests in the form of On to Ottawa Trek. Then came the end of British rule. Following the Balfour Declaration in 1926, the British Parliament passed the Statute of Westminster in 1931, which acknowledged Canada as co-equal the United Kingdom and the other Commonwealth realms. It was a crucial step in the development of Canada as a separate state in that it provided for nearly complete legislative autonomy from the Parliament of the United Kingdom. Although United Kingdom retained authority over any Canadian constitutional changes, this authority was later relinquished with the passing of the Constitution Act of 1982, which was the final step in achieving full sovereignty. Next came World War II. Canada's involvement in the Second World War began when Canada declared war on Nazi Germany on September 10, 1939, delaying it one week after Britain acted to symbolically demonstrate independence. The war restored Canada's economic health and its self-confidence as it played a major role in the Atlantic and in Europe. During the war, Canada became more closely linked to the U.S. The Americans took virtual control of Yukon in order to build the Alaska Highway and were major presence in the British colony of Newfoundland with major air bases. Prime Minister Mackenzie King and Canada for that matter, were largely ignored by Winston Churchill and the British government despite Canada's major role in supplying food, raw materials, munitions, and money to the hard-pressed British economy, training airmen for the Commonwealth, guarding the western half of the North Atlantic Ocean against German U-boats and providing combat troops for the invasion of Italy, France, and Germany in 1943 through 1945. The government successfully mobilized the economy for war with impressive results in industrial and agricultural output. The depression ended, prosperity returned, and Canada's economy expanded significantly on the political side, Mackenzie King rejected any notion of a government of national unity 
the Canadian federal election 1940 was held as normally scheduled, producing another majority for the Liberals. Building up the Royal Canadian Air Force was a high priority. It was kept separate from the British Royal Air Force. The British Commonwealth Air Training Plan Agreement, signed in December 1939, bound Canada, Britain, New Zealand, and Australia to a program that eventually trained half the airmen from those four nations in the Second World War. After the start of the War of Japan in December 1941, the government, in cooperation with the U.S., began the Japanese-Canadian internment, which sent 22,000 British Columbia residents of Japanese descent to relocation camps far from the coast. The reason was intense public demand for removal and fears of espionage or sabotage. The government ignored reports from the RCMP and Canadian military that most of the Japanese were law-abiding and not a threat. The Battle of the Atlantic began immediately and from 1943 to 1945 was led by Leonard W. Murray from Nova Scotia. German U-boats operated in Canada and Newfoundland waters throughout the war, sinking many naval and merchant vessels as Canada took charge of the defenses of the Western Atlantic. The Canadian Army was involved in the failed defense of Hong Kong, the unsuccessful Digby Raid in August 1942, the Allied invasion of Italy and the highly successful invasion of France and the Netherlands in 1944-45. The conscription crisis of 1944 greatly affected unity between French and English-speaking Canadians, though it was not as politically intrusive as that of the First World War. Of a population of approximately 11.5 million, 1.1 million Canadians served in the armed forces in the Second World War. Many thousand more served with the Canadian Merchant Navy. In all, more than 45,000 died, and another 55,000 were wounded. Finally, the war ended. Prosperity returned to Canada during the Second World War and continued in the preceding years with the development of universal health care, old age pensions, and veterans' pensions. The financial crisis of the Great Depression had led the Dominion of Newfoundland to relinquish responsible government in 1934 and became a crown colony ruled by a British governor. In 1948, the British government gave voters three Newfoundland referendums choices. One, remaining a crown colony. 
two, returning to dominion status, that is, independence, or three, joining Canada. Joining the United States was not made an option. After bitter debate, Newfoundlers, Newfoundlanders voted to join Canada in 1949 as a province. The foreign policy of Canada during the Cold War was closely tied to that of the United States. Canada was a founding member of NATO, which Canada wanted to be a transatlantic economic and political union as well. In 1950, Canada sent combat troops to Korea during the Korean War as part of the United Nations forces. The federal government's desire to assert its territorial claims in the Arctic during the Cold War manifested with the high Arctic relocation in which Inuit were moved from Nuvak, the northern third of Quebec, to barren Cornwallis Island. This project was later the subject of a long investigation by the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples. In 1956, the United Nations responded to the Suez Crisis by convening a United Nations Emergency Force to supervise the withdrawal of invading forces. The peacekeeping force was initially conceptualized by the Secretary of External Affairs and future Prime Minister Lester B. Pearson. Pearsons was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1957 for his work in establishing the peacekeeping operation. Throughout the 1950s, Louis Saint Laurent, the 12th Prime Minister of Canada, and his successor, John Diffenbaker, attempted to create a new, highly advanced jet fighter, the Avro Arrow. The controversial aircraft was canceled by Deffenbaker in 1959. Deffenbaker instead purchased the bomb rack, missile defense system, and American aircraft. In 1958, Canada established, with the United States, the North American Aerospace Defense Command, more commonly known as NORAD. In the 1960s, what became known as the Quiet Revolution took place in Quebec, overthrowing the old establishment which centered on the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Quebec and led to modernizing of the economy and society. Quebecist nationalists demanded independence, and tension rose until violence erupted during the 1970 October crisis. The two kidnappings and the murder of Pierre Laporte were the biggest domestic news stories in Canada's history. In 1976, the Parti Quebecius was elected to power in Quebec with nationalist visions that including securing French linguistic rights in the province 
and the pursuit of some form of sovereignty for Quebec. This culminated the 1980 referendum in Quebec on questions of sovereignty association, which was turned down by 59% of the voters. In 1965, Canada adapted the maple leaf flag, although not without considerable debate and misgivings among a large number of English Canadians. The World's Fair titled Expo 67 came to Montreal coinciding with the Canadian centennial that year. The fair opened on April 28, 1967 with the theme, Man, and his world, and became the best attended of all BIE-sanctioned world expositions until that time. Legislative restrictions on Canada immigration that have favored British and other European immigrants were amended in the 1960s, opening the doors to immigrants from all parts of the world while the 1950s had seen high levels of immigration from Britain, Ireland, Italy, and North Continental Europe, by the 70s, immigration increasingly came from India, China, Vietnam, Jamaica, and Haiti. Immigrants of all backgrounds tended to settle in the major urban centers, particularly Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver. During his long tenure in office, from 1968 to 79, and 1980 to 84, Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau made social and cultural changes his political goals, including the pursuit of official bilingualism in Canada and plans for a significant constitutional change. The West, particularly the petroleum-producing provinces, like Alberta, opposed many of the policies emanating from central Canada, with the national energy program creating considerable antagonism and growing Western alienation. Multiculturalism in Canada was adopted as the official policy of the Canadian government during the Prime Minister's ship of Pierre Trudeau. In 1982, the Canada Act was passed by the British Parliament and granted royal assent by Queen Elizabeth II on March 29th, while the Constitution Act was passed by the Canadian Parliament and granted royal assent by the Queen on April 17th, thus patriating the Constitution of Canada. Previously, the Constitution has existed only as an act passed of the British Parliament and was not even physically located in Canada, though it could not be altered without Canadian consent. Canada had established complete sovereignty as an independent country, with the Queen's role as monarch of Canada separate from her role as the British monarch or the monarch of any other Commonwealth realms. At the same time, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms was added in place of the previous Bill of Rights. 
the patriation of the Constitution was Trudeau's last major act as Prime Minister. He resigned in 1984. On June 23, 1985, Air India Flight 182 was destroyed above Atlantic Ocean by a bomb on board exploding. All 329 on board were killed, of whom 280 were Canadian citizens. The Air India attack is the largest mass murder in Canadian history. The progressive conservative government of Brian Mulroney began efforts to gain Quebec support for the Constitution Act of 1982 and end Western alienation. In 1987, the Meek Lake Accord, talks began between the provincial and federal governments seeking constitutional changes favorable to Quebec. The failure of the Meek Lake Accord resulted in the formation of a separatist party, Bloc Quebecus. The constitutional reform process under Prime Minister Mulroney culminated in the failure of the Charlottetown Accord, which would have recognized Quebec as a distinct society, but it was rejected in 1992 by a narrow margin. Under Mulroney, relations with the United States began to grow more closely integrated. In 1986, Canada and the U.S. signed the Acid Rain Treaty to reduce acid rain. In 1989, the federal government adopted the Free Trade Agreement with the United States despite significant animosity from the Canadian public who were concerned about the economic and cultural impacts of close integration with the United States. On July 3, 1990, the Oka Crisis land dispute began between the Mohawk people of Kenestake and the adjoining town of Oka, Quebec. The dispute was the, was the first of a number of well-publicized conflicts between the First Nations and Canadian government in the late 20th century. In August 1990, Canada was one of the First Nations to condemn Iraq's invasion of Kuwait, and it quickly agreed to join the U.S.-led coalition. Canada deployed destroyers and later CF-18 Hornet squadron with support personnel, as well as a field hospital to deal with casualties. Following Mulroney's resignation as Prime Minister in 1993, Kim Campbell took office and became Canada's first female Prime Minister. Campbell remained in office for only a few months. The 1993 election saw the collapse of the Progressive Conservative Party from government to just two seats, while the Quebec-based sovereignist bloc Quebec became the official opposition. Prime Minister Jean Cretton of the Liberals took office in November 1993, 
with a majority government and was re-elected with further majorities during the 1997 and 2000 election. In the 1995, the government of Quebec held a second referendum on sovereignty that was rejected by a margin of 50.6 to 49.4. Your journey is now ending. the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.